Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. The Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 3 of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host Dustin, and as always we have with us... Hey, this is Chris. And this is Apple. And this is episode 3. In this uh, episode we're going to cover Robin number 177, Detective Comics number 848, Nightwing number 148, and then in the short box... We're going to cover Detective Comics number 519. Let's just jump right into it. I'm going to cover uh, uh, Robin number 177. In uh, this issue, we had an appearance from Jason Todd, a mysterious red Robin, and then, of course, uh, Robin. Also, spoiler, made a little appearance somewhere in there. All in all, uh, well, let me give you the stats on it real quick. Fabian Niza and Freddie uh, Freddy Williams II are the storytellers. Letters are done by Sal Ciperon. Guy Major does the colors. And Mike Martz is the editor for this issue entitled Search for a Hero. The date on this one was October 2008. It was released in August. Okay, so basically in this story, uh, Jason... Todd has been trying, he's been taking out leaders of different gangs, and in this one he's taken out the leader Dublin and makes himself the leader of the Black Gators. Along with the Bat Boys, the Five Fingers, and the Sirens, Jason is basically getting control over all of the gangs in Gotham. Robin ends up making a deal with this guy named Ketchum, the leader of the Sprang Soldiers, to alert him when Jason Todd makes his move on his territory so that he can try to take Jason Todd down. Um, this issue, we also have an appearance from Officer Harper, and she has installed a bug in one of the crooked cops' phone that relays and relays the message to Robin. Uh, Tim, however, is a little preoccupied trying to get some information out of the Penguin. Penguin responds by accusing Tim of stealing back the money that he paid <coughs> Penguin to track down Batman. He didn't steal the money. Whoever did made it a point to leave a batarang, a Robin batarang, around so that he be, you know, he be framed. Then the story goes on, and Tim basically breaks up Jason Todd's gang rally. Then realizes that he uh, is basically what Jason Todd's actually doing is rallying all the all the gangs together, so that they can try to weed out the corrupt cops and place more control in the gang uh, in the good cops' hands. Tim decides no matter how great Jason's intentions may be, it doesn't matter. He still needs to stop them. Um, basically, after that, there's an explosive battle in which uh, Jason endangers the lives of gang members he's supposed to be taking the leadership of. And then Jason gets the upper hand on Tim and holds him at gunpoint. Robin is saved by a mysterious character who is wearing the Red Robin outfit that Jason Todd had thrown away when he was in Metropolis. The question then leads us to believe, well, who's Red Robin if it's not Jason Todd? And then at the very end of the comic, police arrive, and Jason Todd is taken into custody. And then at the very end, in like the last couple pages, while holding up at the Hotel Coronet, Spoiler ends up running into Scarab. In exchange for a large sum of money, Spoiler sends Scarab out with one mission, kill Robin. So the question is, what's going to happen? And obviously we'll find out in 178, which we'll cover in the next podcast, where the storyline continues as Robin faces off against Ragman. So, that's 
Robin 177. Well, I said it last podcast, I hate spoiler, and this podcast just reinforces that <laughs> hatred. What is she doing? Maybe she has a plan. Who knows? Yeah, maybe she's the black glove. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this mysterious Robin, Red Robin? Damien. You think it's Damon? I don't think so. I don't think he it's... looks too old to be Damon. Yeah, I don't. I definitely don't think it's Damien. He looks. I mean, Damien was like what twelve years old in one of the last stories that he was in. I don't think he suddenly, unless he's was some kind of 16? super child. I don't know, but he's awfully. He looks a lot more jacked in this uh, comic than he would be if. He, he, I don't know. I just don't see it being Damien. Maybe it's a Robin my, from a different universe. My crazy theory is that it's Bruce Wayne. Just uh, throw that out there. I'm uh, okay. Bruce Wayne is missing, he's having identity issues, and he would be the one that would be that smart and, and able to pull that stuff off without being caught or anything, so I'll just throw that out as my crazy theory of the week. Wow. That's pretty out there, Chris. <laughs> okay, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't think of anybody else. I mean, Asriel? Is Asriel coming back? As a, oh, my God. You only well, wish. You only back. wish. Hey, you never know. I mean, him if Asriel comes back, that. if Asriel comes back, I hope he's in the red suit. That was red, red Robin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the next comic we're going to cover is uh, Nightwing 148, and of course, he's going to have a R.I.P. Uh, tie-in. However, the comic starts off pretty action-packed. Nightwing, of course, which is Dick Grayson, is actually saving an old flame of Harvey Dent's. It seems that she caught up with the wrong criminal, I guess, force that's coming after her. She's a New York district attorney. Nightwing actually is actually wounded pretty bad. He actually uh, takes her to a safe house. Nightwing is able to uh, to make it back to, uh, to Wayne Manor. Colleen and Alfred sees them. Of course, the writer on this is actually uh, Peter Tomasi. And Tomasi seems to have a knack for drawing in characters. I don't know if you guys uh, have really, you know, delved into his stuff, but he can write characters and the relationship that um, I think is the focus of this comic book is when he's doing the the patchwork up on Nightwing as he uh, as he goes to Wayne Manor. He's patching him up. You see, like them holding, you know, uh, Alfred's actually holding his hands, and you know they're they're jarring back and forth. Like you know, it's if it's like a, a father and son thing, the same thing that Alfred has with with uh, Bruce Wayne. And I think that's what this comic should have really started on. When when you get towards the tie-in for um, R.I.P., I think it kind of takes away from what Tomasi tries to write. Now, you know, Grant Morrison, he has his, his own knack of writing. But I think these writers, as we've discussed on other R.I.P. stories, it, it seems like they're just trying to fix it in or, or write it into uh, to the R.I.P., but I think the, the main focus for this one was actually the, the relationship that uh, Nightwing and, uh, and Alfred have. When you go into the, to the R.I.P. storyline, the tie-in for this book is actually Nightwing actually, you know, leaves Harvey Dent's old flame inside another safe house. He leaves, like, even just for a split second, shows that there's a, a break-in, goes all the way, uh, he goes automatically back to the safe house to go ahead and view if the old flame's okay. As soon as Nightwing gets in, all of Batman's rogues are in there. All the villains, they're yeah, all in picture. there. You have Penguin, 
you got Joker, Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, and Killer Croc as soon as he goes into the safe house. But my only question is, is that they're actually supposed to be in Arkham Asylum. So this this is where I, um, where we have discussed between like RIP storylines. These guys are not supposed to be here. They're supposed to be in Arkham Asylum. That's where Batman's heading in Batman. And, and that's where I think that the writers that are writing, they're, they're trying to fit into Grant Morrison's story. This is where it kind of contradicts itself because Batman's heading to Arkham Asylum, but they have well, Nightwing. Well, in the RIP run in Batman, there is that scene in one of the latest issues where the guy's getting ready to operate on Nightwing mm-hmm. and... Uh, somebody, uh, I think the head of Arkham, uh, Miss Dr. Arkham, whatever his name is, probably butchered that, is telling the doctor, wait a minute, what are you doing? We're not doing something like some sort of a lobotomy. And all of a sudden, that doctor, that, that head guy gets beat up by black glove goons. And I think at that point, the black glove goons release the inmates into the city. So if this Nightwing run takes place after the RIP runs we've been reading, which I think it does after what we've discussed last podcast, I think it's still within continuity purposes that during RIP, everybody got loosed on, on Arkham. And Batman's heading to Arkham, but he doesn't know that the Black Glove's already there beating up the head dude that runs the place and is releasing everybody. Although I'm, I'm curious to know why every single... Uh, villain in Batman's rogues gallery shows up to that one safe house. Unless maybe Two-Face told them all to go there. Mm. Looking at that picture, it sure does remind me of Long Halloween when they're all in, I guess, the Roman's uh, office at his at his mansion place. And they're oh, all stuck yeah. up there in a, dark, in a dark room and this is so much like it. I was like, oh, flashbacks. Yeah, now, um, the artist on this is Rags Morales, and he did a pretty he did a pretty good job throughout the issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's maybe the anchor that you know maybe needs to uh, to show a little bit more creativity in the work, or <laughs> but mm-hmm. the the art the art would be excellent if they just became more a little bit more um, artistic in their lines. But mm-hmm. that picture at the end that wouldn't be a bad poster if they would bring mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. And this issue answered a very important question from last podcast. What is up with his glider? And you can see from this issue that it is indeed jet-propelled and has some sort of guidance system in it. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's a panel in there where he does another back-muscle-defying feat of barely hanging on but still being on the glider. I think think it's actually remote. (laughs) I think... Because uh, when he was flying on the way to Wayne Manor, that boy was barely hanging on, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, of all possibilities, he, I mean, everything always is by chance when it comes to the comics and how they're written, but I found it extremely amusing how he wouldn't fall off or something, and somehow it just so happened that it crash-landed in the Batcave instead of, like, in Wayne Manor or something. Batman Detective Comics, number 848, November 2008. Same uh, writing and artist artist class. We were talking earlier about, I really like the pencils in this, but it seems like there's something missing, something that falls short, and I suppose it's either the inker or the color, 
but uh, listeners, I don't know what you think about it. It just feels like they could have done more with what they had. It doesn't feel like the pencils were done proper justice. But this issue really highlights Hush and his villainy, and it reveals a lot more of his master plan, if you'll remember. He's, he's acting out of a reaction of what is going on in R.I.P. He doesn't like this black glove person trying to be the head honcho villain in Batman's life. He thinks he ought to be the one that takes down Batman, apparently psychologically. And so he attacks Catwoman, pretty cool battle there, and he makes an interesting statement about their relationship, Batman and Catwoman, and how there's this hostility in there, and that's probably what Batman feels attracted to. And he was, is this whole push is trying to get Batman pushed so far that he actually drops his morals and his, and his high standards. And But there's a really interesting picture of Hush knifing Catwoman right in the heart, did you guys, when you saw that, did you panic and think, oh man, Catwoman might be dead? I kind of really didn't think about it and really kind of honestly didn't care. I thought she might just be injured. I don't think she was going to die. But the thing is that she's looking at his face and she was like, no, you can't be. And I'm wondering like, okay, who is it? Yes, who could be that startling that she would stop her vicious cat attack? And allow herself to get punctured. Any thoughts? I'm thinking another wild Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely up there. That's wild. That's pretty wild. I'm thinking Jason Todd. But she never saw Jason Todd, though, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But as far as that startling reaction and considering that they both love handguns and the whole confusing hush line and how that made you think it was the same person. I'm going to go with Jason Todd and just see how that plays out. Or it could be Azrael. It could be Azrael. He's lost his mind and he's about to end the next panel. Has him operating a knife. I hope not. Wow. (laughs) I I really like Hush. How is it that Azrael comes into every comic we discuss? (laughs) He's that great. Azrael fanboy over here, Chris, number one. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have changed my Xbox gamer tag. Well, seeing him, seeing him puncture Catwoman got me because of the word bubble where they just have the little asterisk. I'm used to comic books that pretty much signifying death, and so I thought, oh, what if they really killed her? And I'm like, wait a minute, he's going for the heart, and Tommy Elliot is a heart surgeon, I believe. So he probably did end up killing her heart, and that was pretty much the death of her. But being the surgeon that he is, he'll make sure she stays alive somehow. The next we go to Batman racing off, and i got to say that is a very good-looking Batmobile reminiscent of the animated series. Yes, I like that Batmobile. we got a um, Dustin, who's the gentleman that we're going to have on the podcast from the, the Batmobile history? Bill from the Batman history. Bill, yes. We'll see if Bill's going to have that on his website. So that's a very cool Batmobile. Got some uh, wicked-looking tires on that sucker. Oh, yeah. So he arrives in a cave, and this is pretty much where Scarecrow reveals his master plan and figure out what's been going on the last few issues, trying to find a child for Scarecrow to do his work on. And basically, this is just one big distraction for Batman so that Hush can do his thing with Catwoman. Uh, One interesting thing they've put in here is they reintroduced the venom poison that makes this little kid a little monster. He almost looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I was thinking the director of Batman and Robin. (laughs) Um, I can't. <laughs> we cannot let you go, Joe. We love you so much. 
And it moves on. We get an interesting flashback again of Tommy and uh, and his evil mother. We're introduced to Peyton Riley, who we also know as the new ventriloquist. And it moves along with the kid beating up Batman. Batman outsmarts the Scarecrow. I believe Scarecrow is pretty much no ribs are left in his body after the bruise he takes. And then we get to the climax of the whole thing with Batman coming in and finding Selina without a heart, which is da 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 And so they've pretty much built up to the next issue and see we got two more run, uh, two more runs for this story to see what happens. But you guys got any closing thoughts? Um, I think Batman. I think they kind of left it like a cliffhanger, like the way they did. Was just so that you could sit there and think, oh, Hush, he's at, he's killing Cat, uh, Catwoman. But uh, what I think it is is, in the next episode, the next issue, it's gonna be right away. It's gonna be well, he's actually performing surgery or something. He's saving Nightwing. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to our short box collection, and in this one, we're going to cover Detective Comics number 519. Now this issue came, this, uh, the cover date on this one was October 1982. The writers were uh, Gary Conway and Paul Kupperberg. The artist was Don Newton. The inker was John Kelnan. Colors by Adrian Roy. Letters by Ben Oda. And the editor was Lynn Wine. Alright, so in this issue, which is entitled Like a Dreadnought in the Sky... The story starts out with Batman sitting on top of, or well, not sitting, but standing on top of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. He's investigating the disappearance of some naval vessels that uh, the, Department of the uh, Department of the Navy somehow, they somehow disappeared, along with the crew members all on the vessels. Out of nowhere, a uh, Zeppelin-like um, blimp appears, and starts rattling off a bunch of demands, basically saying, Attention Washington, D.C., my name is Colonel Blimp, commander of the lighter-than-air craft you see now above your city. And then he explains that he's the one who took the warships that are missing, he also has some of the submarine. he has some submarines, and he basically says that what he's stolen is worth billions of tax dollars. And he says that the only way he's going to give these back is that if he gets 10 million dollars so that's his ransom meanwhile while he's saying this batman gets onto the the zeppelin blimp realizes that there's absolutely nobody on it and it's actually rigged to explode he of course narrowly escapes and it blows up as it blows up he realizes that the blimp was actually using hydrogen gas instead of helium which was one of the things that changed once uh, the Hindenburg happened in the 1930s. So he immediately started thinking. He goes back to the Batcave. He's talking with Robin at this point in time, Dick Grayson's Robin. He's talking with Robin and Alfred, and he decides that the warships are all most likely in the Arctic. I don't know how he comes up with this. He basically looks at a map and says, the likely spot to hide these things where no one can see them is in the Arctic. So, Robin gets this nice little uh, jumpsuit that's the th- he calls his thermals, which basically looks like um, a rain suit that covers his entire body. Puts that on, he takes the bat plane and flies to the Arctic while Batman races to New Jersey to see a old uh, blimp 
facility where they used to produce uh, uh, blimps back in the day before nobody used them anymore. He discovers that Colonel Blimp and his readily assistant Williams is working there getting more blimps ready to go. Meanwhile, Robin gets the bat plane up to the Arctic, finds all these ships, and meets up with the soldiers and the sailors, and basically explains to them the situation. They end up somehow nabbing or uh, making getting all of the all of Colonel Blimp's henchmen to surrender automatically. Then uh, the story goes back to Batman hearing overhearing Colonel Blimp saying that he's finding out that Robin has freed all of the sailors and the soldiers. And a shootout ensues, and Colonel Blimp comes to the conclusion that he doesn't want to just give up. He'd rather die. He, of course, is smoking a cigarette and has some hydrogen around. And an explosion ensues, and Batman ends Colonel Blimp's foilish plot. Also in this issue, there's a story... Uh, like a side story in the back about with Batgirl and a character called Velvet Tiger, which I have nothing, I know no information about other than what I've read in here. And this story is entitled, When Velvet Paws Caress the Ground. Riveting, riveting. Yes, extremely riveting. The funny thing is, is as stupid as the story probably sounds by me explaining to it, it actually is a decent story. It's one of the classic, you know, just happens stories where it doesn't necessarily link into any other story arc or anything like that. If you'd like to get a copy, or you'd like to get this copy from the Shortbox Collection, email us your information at batmanuniversepodcast at yahoo.com, and we'll pick a winner and send this out to you. Awesome. Chris, didn't you say you found something uh, newsworthy? Yeah, I found out some more about Frank Miller. Last podcast, the regular podcast, we talked about what in the world is wrong with Frank Miller. And we thought that he made a big mistake in that DC panicked, saw the cuss words he put in the comic, and said, well, we can't do that. And so they decided quickly to block them out, and it all went wrong. But found out, actually, the story is that Frank Miller's original idea was to use those terrible words. And he told DC, now you're going to have to black these out. And that was the plan. So it wasn't DC panicking. Frank Miller's original idea was, yeah, we're going to black this out. Which just sounds even more crazy because you think, well, if if you're going to black it out, then why write it anyway? Why not just edit in a big black mark? Why put the word in there at all? And people say that, you know, well, one thing, he just did want to use the little asterisk sound signs that that notate a cuss word. And, yeah, that's fine if you want to do something different. But still, the question is begged, why put the words in there at all if you never intend for them to be shown? So we wanted to mention that. I wanted to mention that to let people know that's a little bit more to the story. And it's not what we thought last podcast. But still, what in the world is wrong with Frank Miller? <laughs> Very true. I guess he didn't lose his marbles. Well, uh, we don't. We, we don't know that for sure. That's all <laughs> speculation lost. at this point. All right, so that about wraps everything up for this episode. Um, next time we're gonna cover comics that came out the second week of September through the third week of September. And if you would like to email us. Batman Universe Podcast at yahoo.com. 
You can let us know your opinions if we're doing a good job, bad job. If there's any other comics that you'd particularly like to hear about. Any older comics that you would like to hear about. Let us know. So like I said, that about wraps it up. This is Dustin. This is Chris. And this is Apple. And this is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Now get out of here! You heard him, let's go! Stupid move it! Move it! Newest is a perfume called Nightshade.